Welcome to Hope Through Hard Stuff, a podcast from Winning at Home. Please welcome your host, speaker, and award-winning author, Steve Norman. Welcome back to Hope Through Hard Stuff. I'm super excited to have our most regular guest. There's only one person who's been on the show three times, and that's the person that we're going to be talking to today. This is <laughs> Becky, Becky Attard. Becky, thank you so much for making time. Oh my gosh. I, I feel honored. I didn't know I was like the most reoccurring person. You're oh. officially in the Hope Through Hard Stuff Hall of Fame, Becky. Oh, I'm honored. And so for people who don't know, Becky was my boss back in the day when Kelly and I lived in suburban Detroit. And for I know it's hard for some of you who know me to imagine this, but I was for a hot minute, a group fitness instructor. And I'm not even sure how Becky let me do that for as long as I did, but that was a, a blast for me. And uh, <laughs> I hope one day that everybody gets to meet Becky. She is a class act through and through. She's an incredible supervisor. She's an awesome mom. She is wife to her amazing husband, Fred, and she's just an all around class act. So Becky, thank you so much for being here. Oh my gosh. I am. I'm honored. The uh, times three. (laughs) So Becky, tell for the people who are new to this conversation and new to your story, just give us a snapshot on where you've been in these last couple of years. Okay. Um, So just super quick cliff notes, June of 2020, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And if you remember COVID hit in March of 2020, that's when the world shut down. Right. So June, 2020 diagnosed with breast cancer, double mastectomy, August 12th of that year. In the fall, we went into four rounds of chemotherapy, 28 sessions of radiation, full breast reconstruction. And that happened in September of 2021. Fast forward to the spring of 2022, which is almost exactly a year ago, having neck pain, severe neck pain, actually. Um, started getting adjusted by a chiropractor, then moved into some physical therapy, ended up in the ER in August after they took some x-rays. And in the ER, they did a CT scan, MRI, and I was sent home August 26th of 2022. I had a broken neck. My C1 and C2 vertebrae were completely fractured. My T10 vertebrae was fractured. My L1 and L4 was fractured and my pelvis was fractured, but we actually did not know my pelvis was fractured until later on. But again, they weren't concerned about my pelvis. They were concerned about my neck and the cancer had spread basically all throughout my body and was breaking my skeletal system. So they sent me home on that Friday night with funeral planning papers So we had stage four cancer, broken neck, and funeral planning papers. And from August 26th to September 30th, Freddie and I call that the 30 days of darkness. And every day was an emergency. We heard stat a thousand times. We went from, we did uh, neck and spine radiation during that time. So we would have days where we would go to radiation, then we would go to the oncologist, then we would have a scan. I mean, there were days during that period where we dropped the kids off at school at 8 a.m. We would have to have somebody pick them up at 3.30 and we didn't get home until 8 p.m. at night. It was wild. Um, so we go into 
so we had basically three, three and a half weeks of that. And then you and I did a podcast, our second podcast. Yeah. And in preparation for today, I was like, I want to go back and listen to the second one that we did because I want to make, I want to kind of remember what we talked about and kind of pick up where we left off. Sure. And I was in the grocery store and I was listening to the podcast and I was like walking around the grocery store and I don't think I blinked. And I think my mouth was open the whole time. And I, I think it was so shocking for me to listen to it. Cause number one, I had forgotten about a lot of things that had happened because the past few months have been so crazy. Like, I feel like Fred and I have been living in like a blunder a little bit. It's a yeah. little bit of a blur. And then the second reason is it was very bizarre to listen to myself speak about what was going to happen and not knowing if the next surgery was going to be successful, not knowing if the cancer treatment was going to work. And then, you know, listening to myself speak about this is what's going to happen. And now being on the other side of it, it was, it was a little eerie for me. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So we did that podcast three weeks into the 30 days of darkness, <laughs> which was basically a week before the cervical fusion. Okay. And let's fast forward to the day before the cervical fusion, which was a Thursday. And I woke up that morning and my sister sent me a message and she said, I was at a prayer group last night. She said, uh, and one of the women, we were talking about you. And she said, one of the women wanted to give you Psalm 91. And I said, okay. And this was like super early in the morning. It was before I even got out of bed and I read Psalm 91. And then later on during that day, a friend of mine, a friend of faith, she sends me a message. She said, I want to give you Psalm 91. I said, okay, great. I was like, oh, coincidence. Lovely. And then that night we had a priest come over and he did the anointing of the sick and we prayed together. And before he left, he said, I want to give you Psalm 91. And I just, I totally started crying and he was like, what, what's wrong? You know, whatever. And I just said, I said, you're the third person. And obviously these people don't know each other at all. I said, you're the third person to give me Psalm 91 today. And Steve, I'm going to have to lean on you for this because off the top of my head, I obviously can't recite it, but there's a part in there that said like a thousand may fall at your side, but it's not going to harm you. <laughs> Can you fill in the blanks? <laughs> wow. Wow. I've got my Bible here. I'm looking it up right yep. now. Yep. So, and it's long, but there's just a couple parts in there that just, you know, I was given, I was given that three times and it just, that was reassuring for me. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to make it through. So yeah, the, the, first, the first two verses for people who don't know, it just says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the most high will rest in the shadow of the almighty. I will yep. say to the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And I, wow, I cannot think of better words for you to hear from God through people who love him and love you on a day of desperation. Yeah. Oh, you just gave me chills. A day of desperation. So we wait. So, so that was Thursday. So Friday morning, we wake up. It's September 30th, the day of the fusion. And the, the interesting thing about the surgery is my, my, my C1 was cracked. My C2 was cracked. And we were led to a neurosurgeon that was as competent as anything. And because there was doctors that 
wouldn't touch me and wouldn't do the surgery because it was so risky. And I, it was in such bad shape and we found him, we were led to him and he was, and a lot of people get turned off by sometimes doctors, high, especially high level doctors can be arrogant. And I'm like, you know what, bring it on. <laughs> right. He was tastefully arrogant. I love just, I shouldn't use the word arrogant because we love him confident. He just, he was like, Becky, he's like, I can do this. And I was awesome. like, okay, but when someone's going to slice into your neck and drill a plate into the base of your skull and you want somebody who's, who's confident. So yeah, you don't want somebody to say like, I'm pretty sure I could figure it out. No, you, you want somebody to say like, no, I've got this. Yes. And I didn't know what the surgery was going to entail. So when we met with him in our consultation, um, and when Fred would talk to people about what was going to happen, I heard Charlie Brown's teacher because the stress was so great at that point. I was like, you know what? It's better if I don't know what he's going to do and just trust Mm -hmm. because I I couldn't wrap my brain around what was going to happen. So, And and there was nothing you could do about it anyway. Correct. Correct. So, and it was funny because fast forward after the surgery, when I got an x-ray, Fred really didn't know that. And I said, Fred, I go, I had no idea what was going to happen. He's like, what do you mean? He's like, we talked about it a hundred times. I go, I blocked you out. I just, I, I, I didn't listen to what you were saying. So anyways, so we wake up the morning of the cervical fusion and I'm surprisingly calm. So we go in, we're driving down Woodward to Royal Oak Beaumont. And I was like, Fred, cause, and I'm starving, right? Cause you can't eat. And my surgery was at, was at like two o'clock, give or take. And we're driving in. And I was like, do you want to just pull over and grab a bite to eat and go home? Cause I'm starving and I don't want to do this. He's like, yeah, maybe another day, but right now, whatever. So we get in the pre-op room and the nurse comes in and she's telling me they were taking a long time. Like we were delayed and she's like, well, he's already done a couple of these today. And I started to get nervous. And I said, well, what do you mean? He's already done a couple. Like, do you think he's going to have, like, I need him to be sharp for mine. Is he going to be fatigued? (laughs) Like I need him to bring his A game to my cervical fusion. And she said, oh, Becky, she said, you don't understand. She's like, these, these high level surgeons, they're, they're on another level. Like he's, he's just getting warmed up. And she ended up telling him what I said. And she came in, she goes, I told him what I just found him. And I told him what you said. And he laughed really hard. (laughs) And I was like, okay, great. He's laughing. So one of the, the nurse anesthetists comes in and she's looking at me and she's looking at the computer screen and she's looking at me and I go, what? She goes, we need to flip you over. And I said, yeah, I said, but I'm going to be out before you flip me over. Right. And she's like, well, yeah. I said, what's the problem? Cause I, one of my strengths is reading people's energy. I go, what, what does it matter? She, she said, your, your, your neck. And I said, well, if it helps you, if it makes you feel any better, I said, I've been walking around like this for a very long time, like months. I said, going on my boat, you know, did a couple light workouts. I obviously couldn't do heavy workouts because I was like, what is wrong with my neck? I said, so when you flip me over, I go, it's going to be okay. I said, does that make you feel better? (laughs) She goes, yeah, it does actually. Thank you. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, you're in bad shape when you're like consoling the medical people that are going to be in the OR with you. (laughs) Oh, so he walks in the room. So the neurosurgeon walks in the room and 
I wrote a letter to the OR team and I just, it was a recommendation from Elizabeth and I wrote the letter and he was reading it. And Fred looked at me and he, cause he was, he, he was like on the computer or whatever. And Fred looked at me, he goes, he's reading your letter. And in the letter, I just, I told him who I was. And I said, I know that you do this every day. And I know that it's routine for you, but it's not for me. And I said, can you just do your very best? Because I have a husband that loves me and two little kids that need me. And I said, there's an army of people praying for you and praying for me right now. And he got done with the letter and he had this huge smile on his face. And he said, he said, that was an awesome letter. He said, oh, you know, I'm going to read it to everybody in the OR before we start. And he said, do you want to take, do you want to pray together before we head into the OR? And Fred and I look, mind you, Steve, I've been at that point, I've been doing this for two and a half years in and out of the hospital, in and out of treatment, in and out of the doctor's office. And never one time have I had any doctor say, do you want to pray together? So Fred and I looked at each other and we were like, yeah. So he comes to one side of my bed, Fred comes to the other. And mind you, at that point, I was a little sedated. He just, he just, he said this awesome prayer. And he said, he said, God, watch over my eyes and my hands. And he said a couple other things that I don't remember. And I wish I would have remembered, but and the end of the prayer was, please let this be a stepping stone for Becky to get back to her life. Hmm. So we finished the prayer. And he says, are there any other, are there any other questions before we head in? Now, mind you. For everyone that's listening, like a cervical fusion and a broken C2, like just to give everybody a perspective, Superman, Christopher Reed, fell off his horse, broke his C2 vertebrae, and he was in a wheelchair and on a ventilator. So the the surgery couldn't have been, I mean, the stakes were high. So he said, you know, Fred and Becky, do you have any other questions before we head in? And when I'm nervous, I can sometimes say stupid things. And I said... And I, the thought of this hadn't even popped into my head. It just blurted out of my mouth, blurted out of my mouth. I said, have you ever seen the movie Christmas Vacation? And he looks at me. He goes, yes. Why? I said, do you know the scene with the turkey? And the turkey's beautiful. And then Clark Wizard cuts it open and the turkey explodes. And he starts laughing. I start laughing. He goes, "That's a, you're afraid that's going to happen with your neck. I said, yes. I said, what if, because here's the thing is, and not to scare everybody that's listening, but you can do an MRI, you can do an X-ray, you can do all these scans all day. But until they open you up, you never really know what's really going on, right? right. And I learned that the hard way when they opened up my left breast. So anyways, when they opened up my left breast in the, double mastectomy surgery. So he says, he's kind of laughing. Fred's just standing there. Right. And, and he goes, don't worry. He said, I, this is, this is what I do. I've, I've got it. So the good news is, is the surgery was incredibly successful. He was planning on fusing through C5, 
but he only plant he only fused through C4, which was great news because it was better than he anticipated. Oh, good. Yes. So, and for everyone listening, what he did was, is he screwed a plate to the base of my skull. And then there's two titanium rods that go from the base of my skull. And then he screwed them into C4. When people look at the x-ray, even medical people, I have a lot of friends that are nurses. I have a few friends that are doctors. They look at that, the the x-ray of it. And they're like, wow. I'm like, I know. So, um, so they wheel me into the OR and I got to tell you, I've been in a lot of operating rooms and the spine and brain OR looked like a spaceship. Like <laughs> they wheeled me in and I was like, whoa. So I'm hanging on to the anesthesiologist's arm. And what they do is, is they put gas on your face. You basically take one breath and you're out. Okay. So they start putting the gas on or I see the mask coming to my face. I go, no, 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 no. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. So I'm hanging on to the dude's arm and he starts like shooing me off. Like, get this woman. Like I'm, I'm like gripping his arm. He's like shooing me off. And then finally they put the gas mask on. I go out. Next thing I know, I'm in recovery. And the girl's like, you know, Becky, what's the date? Now, mind you, when you go to the hospital, they ask you 500 times, what's your birthday? What's your name? What's your birthday? Right. Because they have to continually make sure that they're working on the right person. So they're like, Becky, what is the date? I'm like literally waking up from this cervical fusion going 6680, 6680. And she started to get you. She goes, that's your birthday. What day is it today? And I remember thinking, can you cut some slack here? Like I just. Right. So anyway, so woke up in the OR or sorry, woke up in recovery. That was Friday evening. I don't remember Friday evening at all. It's all a blur. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Saturday, so the f- surgery was on a Friday. I was there Friday and went home on Tuesday. Saturday was physically the most difficult day of my life. And he said in the OR prep, he said, you're not going to like me tomorrow. And I remember thinking, I've had two C-sections. I've had a double mastectomy. Like, this is not my first rodeo, buddy, right? Right. How, how hard can it be? Like, wait, get like some credit here, right? Right. Well, he was right. And Saturday was the most, physically the most difficult day of my life. And the problem was, is Saturday in the hospital, they were short-staffed. So when the nurses are short-staffed and they're taking care of, you know, 17,000 patients, they don't always get to you on time. Well, the problem after a surgery, especially that one, is the pain is not cool. So there's a drug called Dilaudid. Yes. You've heard of it. Yes. Yeah. And I got to tell you, it's a miracle drug and they shoot it into your IV, but it wears off quickly. And so there was a few times when that started wearing off the intervals of pain meds go in your IV and then oral in your IV and then oral. But the oral pain meds don't work as quickly. So there were times when the pain was where it was, was starting to creep up. I'm hitting the nurse button, hitting the nurse button. They're not coming because they're taking care of hundred people. And I start panicking, mm-hmm. but I'm a little bit, you have to remember, I'm a little bit um, out of it, a little bit delusional, right? Because, sure. yeah. and they, all, you know, you always hear 
like your greatest lesson will be learned through your greatest pain. And I remember Fred sitting next to my bed. And I remember like freaking out a couple times because the pain started to, you know, increase. Mm-hmm. And then you have, and then you get anxious because the pain is increasing and then your anxiety makes the pain. And I remember him just laying his hands on me and just saying, babe, breathe, relax. The nurses will come. You will get your pain meds. And talk about a mind game. Like, talk about, like, can I make my body relax even though pain is, you know, killing me right now? Of course, we got through it. Was in the hospital Sunday, Monday, and then went home Tuesday night. So. Went home and for the next, and a cervical fusion recovery is three months. So I get home from the cervical fusion, you know, obviously my days were basically the couch, the bathroom, the shower, the kitchen. I mean, it was, it was rough, but I like forgot about the cancer. And I remember saying to Fred, I go, I was so laser focused on the preparation for this because the preparation for it, like a normal surgery, you have to do like blood work and a COVID test or whatever. And this one I had to do like x-rays, EKG, like all this stuff. I was so focused on the fusion that I like forgot about the cancer. I said to Fred, I go, I got to start chemotherapy in a month. And a month seems like a long time, but in that time frame, it really wasn't. So three and a half weeks later, we're driving back to Royal Beaumont to get my port in. And your port is where they chemotherapy in. Right. So we're driving to the, th- to the the Royal Oak Beaumont and I'm freaking out. And Fred's like, and this is how I knew that I was in shock for those 30 days and going into the fusion. Cause I was like kind of calm. Like, I mean, I was a little anxious, but like, I was kind of, I'm freaking out going into the port surgery and we're driving there and Fred's like, babe, I don't mean to minimize like that you're going back into the OR. He goes, but you're going to go under for like 30, 45 minutes. She's going to like slice you like an inch. And he goes, it's nothing. He goes, you just had a fusion. He's like, come on. I'm like, I know, but I was in shock. This is different. And so anyway, so we put the port in and we start chemotherapy. And we, so we started chemotherapy on that 36 hours later. So I went in the OR on a Wednesday and then we started on Friday morning. Okay. And they started with a heavy chemo, like a heavy dose. Um, so those couple weeks slash months from September 30th to pretty much January was, was rough because I was being pounded. Right. The good news is, is that we went into the oncologist and I don't remember what it was probably after like round six, they did a scan, they did blood markers and the PA walks in and she's like, I got some great news. And I was like, please (laughs) give it to me. And she said, um, she said, your blood markers are dropping dramatically. And that was like the first turning point where we were like, okay, we're like the treatment is working. And that's Mm -hmm. the thing with cancer. And that's the thing that a lot of people get confused about is a lot of cancers, there isn't treatment. Or the cancer doesn't respond to the treatment. And that's why so many of our loved ones are taken so quickly. Yeah. Um, because sometimes the cancer just, it doesn't, it, it doesn't disappear. Yeah. So 
that was kind of our first like light. We were like, okay, this is, you know, our first ray of like real hope that things were going to be okay. So they do a scan and my oncologist is like, you need to go see this, the hip orthopedic oncologist, Dr. Moore. And we were like, okay, so long story short, my, my pelvis was cracked. So the cancer had cracked my pelvis. So I was like limping around like during all this time and not really knowing like what was going on with my leg. Well, my pelvis was cracked and the cancer was all down my femur. And so we knew it was going to be one of two things. I was either going to have to go back in the OR and he was going to put a rod in my femur or he was going to recommend radiation. And he said, nope. He said, let's do the high dose hip radiation. We're not going to do the surgery. So we were like, a win, a win, you know? And I remember, so my, my chemo was three weeks on one week off. And that one week off, I had to do the high dose hip radiation. And I remember being bummed about it. And Fred, in all of his wisdom, he was like, babe, he goes, there was a good chance you were going to have to go back in the OR and get a rod in your leg. He's like, this is awesome. And I was like, you're right. This is awesome. So that was the week before Thanksgiving where I did the high dose hip radiation. And on my fifth, it was only five sessions and I didn't have to hold my breath and I wasn't strapped to the table. So I just had to lay there. So I was like, this is like a day at the beach, right? Like I can do this all day long. I can do the standing on my head, like, come on. So it's my last day of hip radiation. Now, mind you, I'm still in a neck brace and a back brace. Okay. So everywhere I went, I had to wear the neck brace and the back brace. I get off the table. I'm putting, putting my brace on. And I said to the nurse, Nancy, I said, can I ask you something? And she said, yeah. And I said, have you ever seen anyone in really bad shape recover? And she said, I've been doing this for 30 years. I've seen everything. Mm. She said, do you have faith? I said, a hundred percent. She goes, well, that's 98% of it. She said, Becky, I have seen people on the verge of death come in here, get their radiation. She goes, and then they come back and the cancer disappears just as mysteriously as it shows up. She goes, I've seen it multiple times. And she said, don't think that that can't happen. She goes, because I've seen it. And I was like, okay, thank you, God. Right. So like along the way, there was so many things that just gave us hope. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we do the hip radiation and obviously we're still continuing to the chemo three weeks on one week off three weeks on three weeks on one week off. We go back to Dr. Moore, the hip orthopedic. He takes a million x-rays and we, we meet, we meet with the resident first. So the resident comes in and he's, he's pulling up all my stuff on the computer and he pulls up the, the x-ray of my fusion, my, my, my neck surgery. Mm-hmm. And he looks at the fusion and he looks at me and he looks at the fusion and he looks at me. I go, what? Like, what are you thinking? He goes, Becky, this is a resident, right? He goes, this is a giant surgery. I go, yeah. I go, I know I was there. <laughs> I'm like, I said, it, I told him, I go, I go, it rocked me. I said, I'm not, I'm like, it, 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 it was big. So anyways, 
the doctor comes in and he's looking at the x-rays and he's like, he's showing us the x-rays from September compared to the x-rays after the hip radiation, which was the end of November because it was right before Thanksgiving. And he's like, he's like, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. Now, when you look at x-rays, <laughs> I mean, unless something is like glaring at you, x-rays are difficult to read unless you're trained, right? And Fred's like shaking yeah. his head and shaking his head. And he looks at us and he said, it's very obvious from these x-rays that the cancer is dying. And I just busted out crying, you know, and they left the room and, you know, Fred and I, I, I just hugged him and I'm like, you know, because I was able, my hip must have been healing quickly because I was able to start walking normally again. Because for a long time, I was like dragging my right leg. And I'm like, what do you know? And we get in the car and I said, Fred, I go, I'm so impressed with you. I said, he was going through all those x-rays. And I said, and you were following like everything he was saying. He goes, I wasn't following a thing. He goes, I was just shaking and nodding my head. <laughs> he goes, I couldn't tell <laughs> what he was talking about with those x-rays. And I was like, oh, okay, well. Anyways, good news. So round 10 comes, round 10 of chemotherapy. Okay. And I like blew through the first 10 rounds, even though it was difficult, even though I was basically sick on the couch for, you know, you're sick a few days after chemotherapy because it was a, um, on a Monday, I was sick for a couple of days. By Thursday, Friday, I would be able to function. For the weekend, I was okay. And then it started all over again. Okay. So round 10 happens. We get a huge snowstorm. There's like a foot of snow on the ground. The next night, now mind you, every single doctor's appointment I have, they're like, are you feeling numbness and tingling in your legs or your feet or your, or your arms? Are you having numbness or tingling? Asking me every, every doctor's appointment. Nope, I'm doing great. Nope, I'm doing great. I wake up at three o'clock in the morning. Can't move my left leg. So, you know, when you wake up in the middle of the night and you're like, oh, my arm's asleep, my hand's asleep or whatever, and then you just shake it off and it wakes up. Wasn't waking up. I sit up and I'm like shaking it my, with my hand, right? Like hitting it, shaking it. Wasn't waking up. I start to like faint. Fred, wake up. Fred, wake up. And I'm like, Fred, my left leg, it's not moving. It's not moving. And I'm, you know, you're like half asleep, right? <laughs> so I lay back in bed and I put my legs up because I'm like on the verge of fainting, right? And I'm like, what's going on? What's happening? He calls 911 because I just wasn't recovering, right? I wasn't. So EMS arrives. The lights on the EMS truck literally lit up our entire neighborhood because it had snowed. So it was like all the light was reflecting off of the snow, right? Everything's covered in snow. Four EMS guys in my room, bedroom, at 3.30 in the morning. Marco and Gian are sleeping. They do, you know, blood sugar. They hook me up. I don't even know what they did. They're asking me a bunch of questions. And I'm like, am I having a heart attack? Am I having a stroke? Because I mean, my, they're pounding me with this chemo and chemo can do crazy things. Yeah. So they end yeah. up, so they end up taking me, they put me on the gurney. They're wheeling me out. And when they like lifted me up into the EMS, like they're putting me in the EMS and Fred's standing on the porch. Cause he, I mean, you have to remember my, our kids are 10 and five. Yeah. 
It's not like he could have come with me, right? Right, You can't like put a you can't put a family of four in the EMS. So I leave by myself, and he's on the porch, and I see. (laughs) So they take me, and he comes. So he ends up coming, obviously, to Royal Oak Beaumont in the morning after he drops off the kids from school. And he walks in and the nurse is standing there and she goes, are you cold? (laughs) And she's asking me this, right? She goes, are you cold? And he walks in, he goes, no, I'm fine. I'm actually really warm. I'm drinking my coffee. (laughs) And she, she looks at him and she's like, I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to her. So Fred walks in and I said to him, I said, babe, I said, you know, I was totally crying. I said, seeing you you know, standing on the porch while I was being taken away in an ambulance. Like, oh, that was rough. He, it, it, and he goes, baby, because I was taking pictures. What? Pictures? Like, what are you doing? And I said to him, I said, thank God. Praise God. The kids were still in bed sleeping. And he's like, babe, they weren't sleeping. He goes, they got up and they were standing like on the top of the, the stairs watching you being taken away through the window. And I'm like, oh, geez. So anyways, so why my why my leg did what it did, we don't know. Um, but it, they did a bunch of strength tests while I was there in the ER and everything checked out. And they're like, I don't know if you were laying on a nerve wrong or whatever, but it passed. Okay. Three more rounds of chemo. And then all of a sudden my arm starts swelling up. Right arm starts swelling up, turns purple go in for an ultrasound. Nope, no blood clot, no infection. And I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> my arm is swollen and purple. Like what that? So anyway, so we ended up getting a blood clot. Um, so I had to start a blood thinner and that was probably after round 12, round 13 ish. And then the neuropathy sets in. So for everyone listening, neuropathy is it's damage that the chemotherapy does to your hands and your feet, to your nerves. And it can be permanent. So you can actually get to the point where you lose the ability to like text or tie your shoe. Mm-hmm. So the neuropathy started setting in. So the doc had to pull back on the chemo dosage. Yeah, And that was a huge turning point as well, Steve, where, because I was, food was repulsive to me for a very long time. Like it was very hard getting food down. So when the chemo dosage started pulling back, and the numbers started dropping. That's when we kind of started to really feel a lot of hope. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then we ended up getting through 18 rounds of chemo, all 18 rounds, which was huge because a lot of times they have to stop the chemo because your body won't tolerate it. Right, right. So we got through all 18 rounds. Um, I had a, the final round was April 3rd. I had a scan on April 5th and then on April 7th, which was Good Friday we went in for the final results. So on that day, I'm like a train wreck, right? I'm just like shaky, nervous. And I go to my devotional, my Sarah Young devotional. And you know, when you, you read a devotional, you read a bio verse, you go to, uh, you know, a mass or whatever, and you're like, okay, great. And then there's other times that you're like, oh, that just pierced my heart. Right. Yeah. Just totally spoke to me. So I'm ready to open up my devotional. And I was like, God, please like make this something cool, right? That really speaks to me. Like yeah, can, yeah. whatever. So I open it up in April 7th. What's the verse of April 7th? Romans 12, 12. 
be joyful in hope, patient in in affliction, faithful in prayer. And I start sobbing because Mm -hmm. that's been my verse from like day one of this nightmare, right? Yeah. Be be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And I was like, okay, that's what I was asking for. Thank you. (laughs) Right. Good Friday. So we go for our results and the doc walks in and he said, your blood markers and your scans are better than I anticipated. And we just, we just took a deep breath. Um, so from there, I had to do some more scans and more blood work, and that you know they put they put you on like um, maintenance treatment, like maintenance mm-hmm. drugs, mm-hmm. and so we're here and we're grateful. Um, and everyone thinks like I rang the bell, which is you know like a huge emotional thing because Fred and I would be like. I think it was around one, we heard someone ring the bell and we just looked at each other and we both started crying. And I was like, okay, I've got like 18 more to go, you know? So we rang the bell, but everyone kind of thinks like you ring the bell and you're like done free, like run a marathon and like have a huge party and it's over. And it kind of doesn't work that way. Okay. So now we're in this place of maintenance treatment. Mm-hmm. They're doing blood markers every single month. And scans every three, every three months. What the bad news is, is the game is to control the cancer to, and to keep it basically asleep, keep it dormant. Okay. That's the bad news is there's, you know, there's that game. But then the good news is, is that if it does start to trend upward again and wake up again, quote unquote, wake up, yeah. um, they have a lot of options for me okay. because- okay. My cancer is very textbook, if you will. Okay. So that's where we're at. Becky, you've been through a lot. Yeah. What do you what do you say to people who are just in the middle of their journey? Like it's hard for them to see the light at the end of the tunnel, whether that's with cancer or a problem in their marriage or dreams that they have for their kids that aren't being realized. What do you say to people who just, they're still in their days of darkness? What do you say to them? Be careful who you talk to and who you listen to. And that was a huge Achilles. Like that was my Achilles heel and kind of still is. Um, I remember when I was sent home from the ER with the funeral planning papers and it was a couple of days later, I reached out to a friend whose daughter was diagnosed with a brain tumor, 18 months old. And um, they sat her and her husband down and said, your daughter will not survive. She has a zero chance of survival because of this brain tumor. And at that time, she was 18 months old, two months, two years old. She's 10 now, going to be 11. Wow. Wow. And, thri- and thriving. Okay. And her name is Kelly. And I spoke to her and I was not doing well. And I swear, Steve, my entire life, like I've never talked to someone that was so like stable and strong in their faith. Yeah. Yeah. So be careful who you talk to. I mean, if you're having marriage trouble, don't talk to someone that's been divorced three or four times. You know, if, if you're struggling with your finances, talk to someone who's financially stable. Be careful who you allow to speak into your life. Like, yeah, like I the love biggest thing. 
Yeah, no, and that's so good. And I love that one of the recurring themes in our conversations has always been that when you needed a lifeline from God, God always delivered, whether it was through Psalm 91 and God didn't just give you like a single confirmation. He gave you a double confirmation. Like you got the one word, then he confirms it a second time. And then the priest comes through and closes it out by confirming it a third time. Like, it sounds like you have had these moments where there's zero doubt that God is speaking words of courage and kindness to you. Well, I can tell you, yes, a hundred percent. God has thrown us a lifeline at every moment of desperation. And there's been a lot of moments of desperation. Yeah. But I can tell you, like, we had to, like, learning to live. You talk about, like, standing in faith, walking in faith through the treatment, through the surgeries. And, like, a stage four cancer diagnosis is very similar to, like, diabetes. My nephew is now a diabetic and it's just, it's something that really doesn't like go away, if you will, like yep. that I will have to be monitored and scanned my entire life. And that's yeah. totally fine. Yep. But now Fred and I have to literally live like a life of faith every day, you know? Yeah. 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 And and I love that you say that, Becky, because even those of us who don't have cancer, it's a reminder that we all have to live a life of faith every day. Like yeah. sometimes the sometimes the the t- terrible things that happen to us are a reminder of how high the stakes are. But even when terrible things, even we can't see terrible things, like it's. I, I was talking about this with my sister in law. Like it's dangerous to walk out your front door. Like life is scary and life is unpredictable, and we we don't we don't know what we're not in control of until we know that we're not in control of it. But the one thing that we can cling to every day we get out of bed is like, yes. God is strong. Yes. God is good. Yes. Life is hard. Yes. And in the midst of a hard life, God will prove himself strong and good. Yeah. Um, just two more things is I remember when this, when the tornado started in September of 2022. And I remember my brother-in-law saying, he goes, Becky, he goes, you just like you said, he goes, he said, you could beat this and live to your 90. He goes, or you could die in a car accident tomorrow. He goes, you need it, it, it just like you said. And I, I'm like, he's right. Tara Ripper just told me the other day, she's like, Becky, you could outlive everyone. She goes, you don't know. Right. I was like, yes. <laughs> right. And, yes. and that's, that's what gives like each of our days beauty, right. To be yes. able to say like, I'm not, I'm not, if I'm not guaranteed anything, no. then God give, give me the grace to get yeah. the most out of this moment, this relationship, this dollar. Like if every, if every resource and every minute and every breath is a gift, then give me the grace to steward it. Well, like it matters so that when my day is done and when this life is done, everybody would look at my story and say, Oh, Wow. Um, Becky was fully engaged in the life, the one life that God gave her to live and we're better because of it. Absolutely. One of my, one last thing, one of my cancer doctors said with Dr. Moore, the hip orthopedic, we had a, a talk the other day and it was funny because I see these doctors all the time yep. and a lot of times they're very quick with you and that's fine. But I've never, I don't, it wasn't until the other day that I had a very real life conversation with one of them. And after he went through my scans, he said, can I, can I talk to you for a second? I said, yes. And he said, I want to give you some life advice. I was like, bring it on. 
And he said, I want you to do the things in life that you want to do. Hmm. And I said, you're scaring me. And he said, I don't mean to scare you. He said, but you have to understand I work with cancer patients every day. He said, and every, he said, this is what he said. Our society has this false security mm-hmm. that every single person on earth thinks that they're going to live like 90, 95 years old. He goes, and Becky, he goes, it's simply not true. He goes, even with this cancer, he goes, you could live 10 years, 30 years, 40 years. He goes, nobody knows. He goes, I want you to do the things in life that you want to do. And then he said this, he said, because I see it every day where the treatment isn't working and the cancer patients tell me, I wish I would have when I had the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's such, that's like such great wisdom to be able to say, all right, Lord, I've, we've got, I've got this one life. How do you want me to live this chunk of it in a way that gives you glory and allows me to live fully into the joy that you've created me for? Because like that, be joyful always. God wouldn't ask us to do something that we cannot do by his grace. So that if God invites or even commands us to be joyful, always God is going to give us the, the joy in which to be joyful. Like we don't have to like scrounge it up on our own strength. All we have to do is open our hands and our hearts and our minds to be able to say, all right, Lord, I, given these circumstances, it is not natural or normal or human for me to have that joy. If you want me to have that joy, you're going to have to give it. And if you do, I will hold on to it with everything that I have. And that's what I love about your story because you and Freddie have done that at every turn. And that's what's such an encouragement and an inspiration to those of us who are able to hear your story. Thank you. Becky, thank you so much for your time. I'm just always enjoy our conversations and I'm uplifted as a result of them. And I cannot (laughs) wait to check back in with you in another six months and hear the next chapter. All right. Awesome. All right. Thank you, Steve. Thank you so much. God bless. Thanks for listening to Hope Through the Hard Stuff. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe to it, rate and review it, and then share it with others. Winning at Home offers hope through counseling and coaching, motivational speaking, community events, and other media resources. If you believe in what we do and want to support us in our mission, consider making a donation at winningathome.com.